This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And good afternoon on this Tuesday, July the 18th, 2023. Welcome into the BearCast on Sikkim365.com, 365 Sports. If you're on YouTube, please hit like and subscribe. We would surely appreciate that from you. But other than that, sit back. Kick up your feet and uh, ride with us for the next hour as we discuss all things Baylor Athletics, the post-media day edition of this podcast as we wrap things up in Arlington over the course of a couple of days last week. I'm Craig Smoke, joined as always by Grayson Grunhafer. Got Garrett Ross behind the scenes producing as well. And Grayson, we're on the other side of media days. Uh, Had a good time last week getting to hear all the uh, so, uh, so, sounds see all the sights of uh, the Big 12's collective of coaches and player representatives and all sorts of people in between. You know the uh, the assistants that are running everybody around, the ads in some cases that were walking around. You know, just a lot of people there under the roof at AT and T Stadium. And uh, what'd you think of the festivities? I mean, it was great. I felt like everything about it was awesome. Brett Yormark definitely has this kind of unique, I guess you could say, swagger about him. Um, And just kind of the event in general, he brought that to the table. And I feel really good coming out of it about where the Big 12 is at, uh, just simply because of the way the coaches talked about him and just kind of his initial conversations. The fact that we got to literally listen to Brett Yormark for an hour uh, is unheard of. I mean, in the past, it was like, eh, opening statement, 15 minutes, and then, okay, bye, Bob Bowlesby, and that was it. And this was more like he went up there, gave his opening address for like 15 minutes, did a Q&A for another 10 minutes, and then a big presentation. I mean, it was just like everything, and the event was really well ran. I, everything about it was awesome, and I know we're going to dive deeper into it, but I came away feeling very good about the conference as a whole going forward. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't any big realignment news. I don't know that anybody with a you know a good feel for everything that's going on was expecting that. I, I think that that was never really on the table to begin with. Um, and you know, the interesting part of that story will be this Friday and whatever the Pac-12 has to say at their media day. Um, but I know that there was a little bit of like hoping that maybe that would happen or you know something you know big would pop off there. Uh, but no, there was no adding of schools. There was no really even. Um, you know, churning the waters all that much. I think he's already kind of done that on his end of things throughout the last year, and now it's just a matter of sitting back and kind of waiting on all that. But, yeah, it was mostly about just kind of touching on what's going on and what's in the works for the future. And uh, I think that the Big 12's got itself on some nice foundation right now, the most solid foundation it's had uh, to sit on for quite some time. So it just feels a lot stronger and feels like you're in it for the long haul with this conference, unlike – you know, the year-to-year kind of like, what's when's the dam going to break uh, that you got maybe a couple years back? Uh, so, yeah, things going well in that regard. Uh, and we'll talk media days to start things off here. Got uh, a few other notes to get to, whether it be men's basketball or recruiting that we'll get to before the hour's up as well. But let's just stick with media days. And, um, you know, you had a good little contingent of Baylor players there. First things first, we heard from Dave Aranda and uh, prior to him taking the podium, we had interviewed him, 
and had come to learn prior to that that he had lost his father. Uh, and it was a very um, untimely thing just because of the fact that he had to be in Arlington for media days and then had to fly back to California. And so there's a little bit of a back and forth that he was dealing with. But he would eventually end up telling the story about how they found out that his father had stage four pancreatic cancer. And he relayed the story of talking to his father on the phone and telling him that he loved him and not hearing it back. And, you know, that ultimately led to him actually going to California where he's from and, uh, you know, visiting up close and personal and being able to have a conversation with his father and then did have that exchange of the, the I love you and uh, got to have that goodbye, so to speak, that not everybody gets. And uh, it sounded like it was a very touching but tough moment. And then, you know, at some point shortly afterwards, uh, his father passed away and he let us know in media days that he was going to be fulfilling his obligations, which was that day. And then, what was it, that night or the following night, he had the the alumni engagement mm-hmm. up there in DFW. And then he took off after that and, uh, and went back to, to Redlands, California, um, but got to be a part of the celebration of life uh, and, and get all of that done. So a uh, really emotional thing to have to deal with and then go up and get in front of a bunch of media. And then I don't think it helped that we talked about it and tweeted it out. And then like everybody kind of knew. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure he had to talk about it more than he would have liked, but um, I thought he handled himself given the circumstances really well, and had you not known anything was wrong, you wouldn't have known anything was wrong. Uh, a pro's pro, so to speak, and I thought when he did have to touch on a very sensitive topic, he handled it really well, which that's Dave Aranda. is not all that surprising. Absolutely. I mean, his opening speech at the press conference was great. I mean, everything that he said was very honest and transparent, which was my biggest takeaway. I mean, Everyone knows that last year did not go as planned, and Dave Rand was very honest about that and mentioned some of the reasons why. And I felt like that was great to hear uh, the accountability, which is something he's had no problem, you know, being accountable for the you know lack of results that have occurred at certain points during his time at Baylor. Um, and he hasn't been afraid to address those results in the offseason by, you know, making new hires or going out and finding transfers or, you know, just all these different changes. And, you know, as far as last year goes, a lot of it was, you know, him talking about how, Last year's team didn't handle adversity well, uh, in large part because they didn't have great leadership on the team, and in large part because the coaches were, it felt like they were focused more on individuals than the team, was basically how he addressed it. So, I, I mean, again, very open and honest. He also mentioned the fact that they didn't embrace the transfer portal last year, and they absolutely changed that mentality this offseason. So, in general, all of that combined with the fact that he talked about his father, I mean, it was just a very open and honest conversation and one that, again, I felt like just all class by Dave Aranda. So it would have been nice if, like, the headline was him talking starting quarterback, but that just wasn't the case. That was probably the biggest headline that came from it was the fact that he was dealing with the, the loss of yeah. his father. And uh, so that was part of media days in a roundabout way for Baylor. But, again, he handled it with all class. Hopefully it all worked out on the other side of just being back with family and traveling everything getting out of Dallas but he could have not showed up and I don't think anybody would have blinked twice given the circumstances but he was there uh, AJ Stewart then would replace him as far as the Texas High School Coaches Association uh, speech goes uh, Aranda was scheduled to do that but uh, did instead go back to uh, to his hometown and 
uh, A.J. Stewart, associate head coach and running backs coach, uh, did replace him. Uh, so just kind of in general, getting into to what he did have to say or even what A.J. Stewart had to say, I haven't been able to check out his whole speech from the THSCAA. I'm not sure if you were able to or not, but um, let's talk about what we did learn from media days and anything thereafter. Uh, I felt like Aranda was very open, kind of as he has been, uh, about you know the mistakes that he – made uh, specifically as a staff they made just as a team overall in a program the mistakes they made I thought that was basically the storyline probably more than anything else was hey we miscalculated we should have gone to the transfer portal heavier after winning the big 12 and we didn't and that was a mistake we relied too much on giving guys chances or them having waited their turn and then in turn giving them opportunities and we should have just been like hey there's a corner from Ohio State let's go that grab that guy he's going to make us better and and that's what they should have done but he's doing the relationship thing and it's person over player and so that feeds into that so right there alone you can tell that's not really a bs tagline uh but what did you make of just him owning up to all of that and and kind of just rehashing a lot of it and what else maybe from what he had to say was or some things that stood out for you from media days I mean it was huge and it was a constant theme that even the players all talked about I mean the mistakes made last year how the locker room's different this year how players are holding each other accountable which I don't think was something that was happening a year ago and and I think that was kind of a big part of this and I know Dave Aranda didn't mention this directly, but we talked about it on the show on Friday. Um, Player-led programs. That was mentioned a lot by other Big 12 coaches, not Dave Aranda specifically, but I do feel like what Dave Aranda talked about, what the players talked about was this has become more of a player-led program and it needed to be. And by that, I mean finding leaders, finding guys who aren't afraid to call each other out on things and making sure that the locker room is healthy uh, because at the end of the day, the coaches aren't always going to be there. You have to be able to do this as a team. And then the coaches of course come in and supplement that with all the team building and, and just being vocal leaders and being leaders in general. And that's where Dave Aranda comes in, but also roster management. I felt like that's what Dave Aranda talked about a lot as well is just managing a roster of, you know, 85 scholarship players and walk-ons and, how do you do that? How do you go about, you know, replacing guys, bringing in transfers, finding talent upgrades? You know, where is the in-between on that? Where do you find that sweet spot in the middle? And I think they did that this offseason, but last offseason, I think they missed out on an opportunity there. And I think by seeing the number of guys they replaced that they didn't necessarily have to replace, it kind of tells you a, a story of, okay, we're going to get rid of some of these older guys that maybe aren't you know, reaching the level that we need them to as far as on-the-field play or leaders. We're going to bring in guys that can come in and kind of shore up our locker room but also provide a talent upgrade on the field. I think that's something that he learned over the last year and was definitely something that stood out to me. Yeah, uh, he has uh, really come to grips with kind of just the, the way of the world and being a head coach of just things could change quickly, highs, lows, and mistakes along the way. Learning from them is vastly important, and it seems that he has. So the proof will be in the pudding, um, you know, as far as that goes this upcoming season. Um, but good to hear your head coach kind of just not trying to BS and not trying to make excuses, but just being like, hey, laying it all out there. This is what happened for better or worse, and we're going to be better because of it. What else uh, stood out to you? Because I feel like, honestly, dude, 
I didn't get to take in media days. Like, we're at the table all day long, all day long, and we're doing interviews back to back to back to back to back, and I'm not roaming around listening to, like, 20 minutes chunks of, of guys talking. So I heard, like, nothing from the players outside of what we had at the table. Didn't get to talk to Blake Shapin. Um, so he was the only guy that we that I didn't talk to. Um, and we talked to Arand on day one, but I didn't, outside of his little press conference, didn't get to hear – you know, him off to the side and everybody coming up and asking questions. So you got more of a, an actual fill of all the media days talk than I did. So uh, where would you like to kind of start off as far as things that stood out to you from the, the couple of days out there? Yeah, so I have a few things. I mean, I guess let's start with Blake Shapin. Um, I, I think that when Dave Randa made the announcement that Blake Shapin was the starting quarterback, there were a lot of people that I feel like came out and were saying things like, oh, but this competition isn't over. Or, oh, could this just be like the starter after the spring, but not necessarily the starter for game one? Like, we heard everything like that, and I, I'm just sitting there going, no, it, it means he's the starter for game one. And if you need more reassurance of that, just listen to anything Dave Aranda said about Blake Shapin during the entire time at Big 12 Media Days. He's the guy going into game one. Now, will he be the guy for the entire season? I don't know, but what I do know is this coaching staff believes in Blake Shapin. Dave Aranda believes in Blake Shapin, and this is a guy who clearly is taking a step forward on the field and, once again, off the field. He's become a much better leader this offseason. That was very evident by the thing Shapin said and Aranda, that the team is really actually buying into what he is saying. And the hardest part last year was they lost a guy in Gary Bohannon who was the leader of the team. And then Blake Shapin, as a young player, was asked to assume that leadership role. And he wasn't ready for that moment. Simply put, he was not ready to be a leader of this football team. And I think he is now. And I think the players listen to him now, and I just think that's a big step forward there. And then as far as on the field stuff, I think he's impressed them with some of the things that he's done developmentally. Um, I know people are going to watch the spring game and say, oh, he wasn't amazing in this game. He didn't light it on fire. But I'm telling you, he had all these weeks of practice leading up to that game, and everything we heard was Blake Shapin was playing really, really well. And if you go to the spring game, he didn't play bad. He just didn't set the world on fire. Um, And I I think there's going to be a lot of critics for him, and early in the season there's going to be a ton of critics, just like last year, who are going to be watching his every move. And some people, frankly, are going to be hoping for him to make a mistake. And I I think that that's something that last year Shapin probably paid too much attention to. And he was very honest about that as well. He was listening to the media and listening to what people were saying about him instead of just focusing on going out there and doing his job. Um, I think mentally he's in a better spot. Physically he's in a better spot. And hopefully Baylor fans can really rally behind him going into this season because the coaching staff and the players have all done that. It's been very evident throughout the offseason and was made even more evident at media days. Yeah, I don't know really how beneficial it is to root for your starting quarterback to not do well, just so you can see the backup and be happy that the backup's in the game instead. When you especially don't know if the backup's going to be any better or not, mm-hmm. like I, I, you know, there's I know there's a contingent that's just anti Blake no matter what. I'm sure they were the same ones that were anti Charlie and anti whoever. And then there was a great run of quarterbacks prior to that, so people got spoiled. And now it's like anything less than a high four-star back there flinging it around. It's like they're not worthy to to be at the position or something along those lines. It's very strange. I just don't get the – I don't get – like it's one thing to not be confident or feel like a guy's not going to get it done, but to actually root for them to not do well is just bizarre in my mind because Sawyer Robertson's not a sure thing. And here's the other part. If he gets hurt, then you are 
absolutely royally screwed. I don't care how good R.J. Martinez looked in practice. Like, by the time you're at your third quarterback, I don't care if it's Oklahoma. Like, Oklahoma, QB2, they fell off the rails last year. Mm -hmm. So, like, be careful what you wish for as far as Blake shaping and not doing well or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, It does seem like everything's aligned for him, though. And so for the crowd that's either anti-Blake or pro-Blake or whatever, it's going to come out in the wash this year. It's going to come out in probably the first five or six weeks of the season, I feel like. We'll know after the Texas game where they're at. Yeah. We will. One way or the other, for better or worse. And I don't care either way. I'll, I'll just be clear. I just don't like the whole let's root against our own guy mentality. I just think that that's... Just stupid. Um, so doesn't matter to me. If Sawyer Robertson's the next big thing, then fine. I, I just want to watch an entertaining football program. But it is going to be Blake to start off with, so might as well throw your support behind the guy and hope it works out because tell you what, it also works out a lot better for them just the way things line up for for uh, the future if he has a really good year and then you know we can figure out next year as that goes. But I'd rather have uh, – problem at quarterback deciding between guy who's done it and proven it again and a guy who's got a whole lot of potential than guy who you really don't even feel great about anymore and then the guy who's basically the default next guy up who's hopefully a bit better you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying so um yeah I just I think there should be more positivity surrounding shaping at least right now and and positive hope and then look if he gets out there and it doesn't work then it doesn't work but right. let's give him some time and give him an opportunity and and look well, he's had an opportunity. He last year he won the job in the spring, and then you know let's see how these first few games go, and then then everything will will come out on the other side of that. Yeah, and let's see if he can get you know more capable receivers this year, and maybe a defense that you know isn't hemorrhaging points towards the end of the season as well. Those were all factors in what led to a disappointing year. It was not just Blake Shapen and. I've seen a lot of comments about, oh, if they would have kept Gary, they would have, you know, gone nine and three last year or something like that. And I, I just sit back and I go nine and three. Oh, oh <laughs> okay. I've heard, I've heard a lot just about if they would have kept Gary, like his leadership and this and that. And I'm like, Gary was good for the 2021 team because that team was just a grinded out, rely on your defense, run the football type team. Last year's team could not have done that. Last year's team had to score points because defensively they weren't getting off the field very much. So, anyways, I just wanted to put that that conversation to bed because that's just simply not true at all. Um, let's talk a little bit about the receivers because Keytron Jackson was mentioned. Monterey Baldwin, of course, was mentioned. Josh Cameron was at Big 12 Media Days, and there's uh, seeming to be a lot of confidence in that room. And I, I think this was a room coming off of last year that, I don't think they were very high on themselves. And I don't think the confidence was very high. I just felt like it was one of those things where, you know, it was a bad year. They had injuries, multiple injuries in the room. Um, And it just was a tough, I think, first year for Dallas Baker and company and that receiving core. But I, from what I saw from Josh Cameron and what I've heard this offseason, it seems like there's a renewed confidence from all of those guys that they're going to go out there, be a lot better, make plays. The addition of Keytron Jackson will be massive. I, I think he's going to have a fantastic year and a big impact on the offense. But I think the confidence is probably the biggest thing because last year they were very, very young outside of Gavin Holmes. And they really need this group to just grow up. And I think they've turned that corner a little bit this offseason, which, of course, will help Blake Shapin and the entire offense as a whole. Because I think anyone that watches Baylor and covers Baylor knows they're going to be able to run the football. 
Like, that's pretty obvious. You know, Eric Mateos is going to get them to a point where they're going to be able to run the ball. The question is, how effective are they going to be throwing the football? And I think with this confidence and shape and the confidence of the receiving group, the experience at tight end, I think things are kind of coming together a little bit on that side of the ball. All right. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, – I'm in just wait, see, wait and see mode. I mean, it all sounds good, but uh, – Heard a lot of good things throughout this offseason about some of the weapons that are kind of accumulating right now and uh, just haven't seen much of these guys. I mean, little blips and and hits last year from time to time. But, yeah, the passing game was pretty pretty unmemorable uh, last year. Yeah, uh, I just don't have a lot of big thoughts on the passing game other than, like, yeah, hopefully there's a big step up this season. Definitely. And so let's switch kind of sides of the ball a little bit. Um I felt like this was really important. Dave Randa mentioned Matthew Pallage mm-hmm. during the press conference. And just this shift from a, I mean, that just Ron Roberts and Matthew Pallage are two totally different people. And I, I think Dave Randa mentioning the fact that the players really respond well to Matthew Pallage's coaching, the way he is as a person, just they really listen to him and what he can bring to the table, that was a huge thing. And that was a big reason why they brought him back from Oregon, why they you know promoted him to defensive coordinator. Um, that was huge. He also mentioned his football background, just talking about how he's had multiple stops at different programs who run different defenses. And Dave Randa views that as a huge positive from a versatility standpoint and ability to match up with any offense they face. So very impressive background. I was just impressed with what I heard there. And again, this is something that we continue to hear, just the defense turning a corner a little bit under Matthew Pallage's coaching. And we're also seeing from a schematic standpoint, they're changing things up a little bit. You know, there's no Apuika. There's going to be a bunch of different bodied defensive linemen, athletic builds. Um, you're going to see the corners play play more, more press man coverage. You're going to see more physicality, I think, on the outside and less zone, uh, more man as well. Um, I just think in general this is going to end up being a really good hire and one that Dave Randa mentioned specifically. Yeah, I mean, if their defense isn't better, then there's no more excuses as far as things that change over. I mean, every position outside of, like, you know, O-line and tight ends coach and, like, I mean, Grimes has obviously been day one. Mateos has been day one. I mentioned this specifically, but – you know, outside of those things, everything's pretty much changed already. That can that can change. So, uh, yeah, you certainly hope that with the tweaks after, you know, whatever happened with Ron Roberts, and then going and bringing Matthew Pallage back, that that's going to take a big step up. And after all, it's Aranda's expertise. So, if the defense isn't significantly better after last year, uh, and all the transfer portal moves you made and the coaching changes you made, then that's a, that's going to be a big red flag that that's not operating the way that it should be. Because, I mean. That should be kind of your given. Yeah, some years will be better than others depending on leadership and just who are veterans and things like that. But if they're sitting there having guys roam free like they were at times last year, then that's going to be a pretty bad sign of, of the direction things are headed, in my mind at least, because that's that's where you should probably feel the most confident is just that more often than not they'll be geared up and ready to go on the defensive side. That was what was shocking about the bowl game last year. Now, I don't know how much weather and things played into it, but like you, there you have Aranda, who's like in charge of the defense, and they look like – I mean, there were some efforts that were, were good individually, but overall it was just weather – it was a lot of things. That but was, it was a just, one-two game. That, huh. that was definitely like a, a who-wants-to-be-there game. Yeah, it's, no, yeah. like – so I'm saying you can say whatever you want about how it, how it went or the weather or whatever, but that was not a good look, and I'm so – that's fine. You want to chop that up, chalk that up to a mulligan. Cool. But if we head into this year and the defense is still 
you know, um, a leaky valve, so to speak, after all the changes you've made, that's going to be a little bit concerning. And if that's the case, then the offense better be pretty damn good because otherwise you're looking at another 500 probably type of season. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, Dave Rand is a defensive coach, right? So you expect that yeah. side of the ball <laughs> to be... That's point, yeah. Yeah, you expect that side to be good uh, for sure. And I, I do think we'll see improvements. They attack the transfer portal. Um, and I just think there's a different level of confidence. And I also think... You know, last year, I do feel like on the defensive side, there were just things that didn't go, didn't click, it just seemed. And whether it was Ron Roberts or whether it was the talent on the field or whether it was certain players, uh, it just did not all come together. I think this year they're probably going to be more of a cohesive unit. And I also think they're just a little bit more athletic, just kind of all around the field. And we'll see if that pays off. We'll see if Matthew Pouch can get those guys playing better. Um, Outside of that, though, you know, I I heard from the players, obviously. Y'all got to talk to the players as well. Um, I mean, was there anything that stood out to you, anything that that came up in those conversations with, you know, Smokey and Paul with the players? No, not really. I mean, uh, just all of it's just, you know, positive. Everything's going great. Offseason was great. Coaches are great. Changes are great. New players are great. Um, I I just – I think we've kind of – you know, hit on the talking points that they've had throughout this off season, and these were just those were just hammered home. I think further. I mean, everybody seems on the same page. Everybody seems to be happy with the direction. Everybody seems to feel like they're in a better spot than last year. But you know, then again, it's hard for me to also not, you know, come to grips with the fact that we sat there and had a media day last year, and everybody said all the right things, and they everybody's excited about the change, and everything's great. And then come to find out, like it's not great. It's not going in the right direction, and there was like clearly some locker room issues. So you give them the benefit of the doubt. I do think that they're telling the truth. I don't think it's like. Well, this is what we're supposed to say in front of the media. I don't know how much of it was that last year. Like maybe it was a couple months later that things really kind of went sideways once the season started. Um, but yeah, for a media days, I mean, everybody feels like they're better. And if you don't, then that's problematic. Um, but they just, they all just kind of hammered home on the same points of uh, as much as anything. It sounds like the behind the scenes was, was as big of a problem as, and, and not like, you know, crazy stuff but just the chemistry wasn't there so I I think that that's just you know was further reinforced and you know outside of that I I think that it's just kind of what you would come to expect around this time of year um would love to have something more notable like something crazy that somebody said but I don't know I just felt like it was it was a kind of business as usual at, at media days which is not a bad thing it's just that's uh that was you know just an event where there wasn't like anything on from the Baylor perspective that was super memorable or like, Oh wow. I didn't know. Like, dude, we talk about them every week. Like we kind of know the deal about them. I think that's as much for other people to learn about them as it is for us to learn about them. And in so many ways. So I think so. Yeah, Yeah, I I would agree with that. I feel like we just got what we already kind of know reinforced. And then for other people maybe going, Oh, I didn't know that, you know, the chemistry wasn't great last year and, and you know, things, things like that. So for me, yeah, not, not really a whole lot that was, um, enlightening or or any different really from what we've been talking about the last few months yeah I, I would mention you know and this is more so because we don't really know this guy very much it's new to us but mike mike smith jr was very impressive and, and i didn't get to talk to him it was like the, a timing thing so he was the one guy like we didn't have shape in period 
But outside of that, we had every other player that was, the other four players that were there, and he was the one guy that I did not uh, get to talk to. Yeah, the Liberty transfer, mm-hmm. and you know, I asked him a little bit about his journey um, because he was in community college for three years, which is super rare. Then made the jump to Liberty, and then ended up at Baylor. So he's gone through just the the grind, right? The struggle of being in community college. That's that's not great. That, that's not fun for anyone. He was there for a long time, committed to the game, went to Liberty, had a very productive year, and now he's at Baylor. And just ever so when you watched his film and when you kind of broke things down, you know, you saw the addition and you weren't blown away by it, or at least I wasn't. You know, watching the film, I was not blown away by what I saw. I felt like he was solid, and that was about it. But everything I heard this spring was just his leadership, his intangibles, the things that he brings to this team, the the being in the right place at the right time, the knowledge of the game, everything like that that I heard, I just sat there and went, okay, you know, maybe. I, I don't know much about this guy. It could be true, could not be true. Um, I was so impressed at Media Days by this guy. I mean, he was just the example of class and the example of representing Baylor that you want to see. And uh, everything they said was just very much about the team and just about winning, winning football games and being the best, you know, being put in the best position they can be put in. He was so excited about his journey to Baylor and uh, getting to Baylor. And one thing I'll mention with him that I do think is very important, and I've mentioned it on the premium side, but he entered the transfer portal and then was on Baylor's campus the very next day and then was committed two days later. This guy was made a complete priority. Baylor had offered another linebacker uh, out of the transfer portal, and they canceled his official visit to bring in Mike Smith and then get Mike Smith committed. That's just that's how much they liked him, how much they loved his backstory, how much you know they were able to find out about him and then offer him and then get him on campus, get him committed. I think he's going to be a big factor for this defense and just this team in general uh, because of his leadership and just everything that he brings. Um, you know, above the shoulders, you know, even more so than just his talent on the field. Yeah, I think it spoke volumes that he was uh, asked to be, you know, one of the guys there in attendance after not really being on campus all that long. And I think we pointed that out at the time. It was just kind of surprising to see his name there. And so, yeah, the fact that he's uh, he's impressing is, is a good thing. And, uh, yeah, that wasn't the most celebrated commit necessarily at the time. But uh, it seems like he's made a really good impact and could be a big-time player for them this year, which would be – uh, absolutely uh, welcome news and uh, needed news as well at linebacker because they do need some help there having to replace some guys and just overall as a defense being better uh, under Matthew Powledge now in his return. Um, I mean, you know, my other takeaways were just I was impressed by the guys we did talk to, like Josh Cameron and Drake Dabney and uh, who's the third one that I'm missing now? Josh Cameron. Josh Cameron. I mean, I, I did enjoy talking to those guys. There's nothing that, like, outside of just being pretty positive and feeling good about the year and about the direction that was all that uh, different, but did enjoy talking to those guys and just getting to know them a little bit more. Um, so anything else uh, to empty out from, from media days? Uh, yeah, nothing on the Baylor side. I mean, there were a few takeaways in the Big 12. Do you want to just kind of quick hitter type thing? Yeah, really those? quick. Really quick, we, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll go really quick. So I coming out of this, uh, stock down on Cincinnati, Houston, uh, specifically, I I don't think both of those two. I I'm just not sure what the direction is this year. I just I don't feel very good about where they're at. Uh, stock up on TCU, um, 
and a little bit on Texas as well. I liked what I heard from them. I feel like there's so much confidence. I feel like Texas is trending more towards arrogance. TCU is just like, hey, man, you know, we're picked fifth, and we were just in the national championship a year ago, and we're going to come right back and have a really good year. So I feel good about those two being pretty good this season. Uh, outside of that, <clears throat> the in-between, it's, it's still – the whole separation, right, between the top six teams and the bottom teams. I, I still feel that uh, tremendously, and I think Baylor's in that top group along with Tech and Oklahoma. Um, but that bottom group, it's just kind of a pick em each week. And Oklahoma State, I, I'm very nervous about what their season is going to be like. I didn't love what I heard from them. They're just taking in so many transfers. It's like a completely new team, uh, but they have a great schedule. And then finally, West Virginia. I love that Neil Brown called out the media and was like, oh, you picked us last. It ruined my vacation. We had a team meeting right after, a very colorful team meeting, and we are not going to finish last. I can promise you that. Called out the media, said we haven't been very good about picking the conference anyway, so he's not too worried about it, but clearly he is worried about it. Um, but in general, I don't think they're going to finish last either. I, I, I truly don't. I think Cincinnati's the favorite for that. Yeah, I don't think they're going to finish last. I also think he's got to do whatever he can to motivate the troops because yeah. he could lose them by about, the oh, I don't know, week four if they're not careful, and he could find himself on the way out. I like Neil Brown, but I also know the situation that he's in. And, uh, yeah, he needs everything he can find to uh, rally and, and motivate and try to go win some football games. So that was a good opportunity to do so. We'll see how it works out for them. Um, they're going to have to hold on to that juice for another, you know, five, six weeks, and then they'll get to play Penn State, and they'll get to play Pitt, and they'll get to, you know, play those games early on, and we'll get a good uh, sense of, of sort of where West Virginia is in the grand scheme of things. But I am curious to know how much of a – of a leash he's on or a rope that he's got uh, lengthwise uh, to play around with because that first month of the season could go sideways. So how he navigates that will, you know, say a lot about kind of, you know, where they might be able to make some noise in the Big 12. But, man, it's just still hard to imagine them going out and winning enough games to be, you know, sitting there going like, yeah, we're bringing them back. We're rolling, like, year five, let's go. I just I have very little faith in that with a new athletic director. So... Uh, but I do like Neil Brown. I think everybody does. I don't think that's ever been in question. It's just a matter of if he's the right guy at the right place right now. And he'll get a big opportunity, and there will be no shortage of motivation because of the things that you just outlined there. And, yeah, like, I mean, I've been I've, I've felt like TCU is still going to be really good. I, I haven't thought that they were going to be a playoff repeater. But, I mean, as far as, like, be, being able to win the Big 12, like, yeah, I think they could potentially flirt around and get back in the championship game. I've been high on Texas. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of, I mean, K-State high yeah. on them. I mean, I have more of, I mean, Oklahoma and Baylor are the ones I'm like, I mean, are they in that top group? I think they are. I mean, the Oklahoma reasoning is legitimate. They lost close games other than the Texas game, and the Texas game was not like the other games. Davis Bevel was playing the entire game. Like, that just, that wasn't the same thing as losing to Texas Tech when Dylan Gabriel's hurt in overtime or against TC. You know what I mean? Like, that was a, a very much an outlier game that Texas probably still wins, but not like that. That was that was almost entirely based on the quarterback situation. So I do think that they'll be better, and uh, I do think that, um, you know, Baylor has the opportunity to be better, but it's one of those, like, I got to see it to believe it. And, um, 
you know, they'll they'll find out pretty quickly. We'll know by week two against Utah sort of where, where Baylor is in the grand scheme of things. But, yeah, I'm not real high on Cincinnati, at least this year. And um, I just think there's – I mean, most of the conferences is just all kind of on that same playing field. It's going to make for – beating up on each other quite a bit, I think, throughout the entire year. Yes, so, it will. Uh, yeah, it was fun time. A lot of good stuff to sort through. A lot of positivity and just excitement for the season upcoming and, and all those types of things. But, yeah, Big 12 Media Day is in the books. And now we'll uh, soon enough get to see, you know, how right or wrong the preseason polls were and all the predictions throughout. Uh, we'll have some proof in the pudding, and I'm very much looking forward to that. All right, uh, elsewhere, Baylor men's basketball. Uh, the Big 12 had their, you know, Rucker Park Day, uh, the get-together with uh, kids in the area and just being in New York City. Uh, you know, Scott Drew is a part of the contingent of Big 12 officials that went up there uh, to be a part of the festivities. From what I saw, they actually got rained out a little early or had to shut it down a little bit earlier than expected because of rain in New York City. At least that's what I gathered from Scott Drew's Twitter post. Um, but there were some clips or at least some, some photos of him talking to the kids in the stands. And Brett Yormark was out there. And, uh, you know, things seemed to be like uh, – you know, it's a nice little kind of camp setting or what have you there in NYC. So you had that going on. But meanwhile, Scott Drew, just a few days before, uh, was back in the transfer portal and revamping this roster a little bit further as uh, they dipped back in and uh, decided, and now I can't seem to pull it up in time here, uh, but decided to dip back into the transfer portal and add further to this roster. And... Um, I'm trying to find the young man's name because I had it in front of me, and now I do not. Uh, but Giannis, and, and Jonga, I believe, yeah. is his last name, uh, from the JUCO ranks, the latest addition to the Baylor men's basketball roster. Um, but, uh, you know, we kind of knew that this was going to be an ongoing process that, you know, as far as the retooling of the roster, but I think we have arrived at a point now where we're kind of at the end game here. And Giannis and Jonga, one of the final pieces, if you will, to this puzzle, uh, but he has added for the 23-24, the upcoming season, New Mexico Military Institute, a big man down low, averaged 13.5 points, a little over eight boards, 1.2 blocks in 26 appearances for New Mexico Military Institute, uh, played a little under 11 minutes per game, and that uh, was a little less than 50% from three. So those are just some of the stats that were in the press release on uh, the big man uh, from New Mexico Military Institute, Giannis and Janga. Your thoughts on this edition? Right. I mean, I fully expect him to redshirt this year. This Scott is just, Drew said that on the show yesterday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's just a, a rebuild. You know, not a rebuild, but just bringing in a guy who you're going to build into the player that he's going to be eventually. I think that he's um, a really nice addition, though. And we've seen Baylor have success, right, with bringing in guys like this. It, I mean, if you look, you know, throughout his time, I mean, guys like Nuni Omad or guys like um, you know Freddie Gillespie, guys who are developmental, who then turn out to be big time players for Baylor in the long run um, I think this could be another one and it's going to take some time there's going to be a learning curve here but in general you know I really trust Scott Drew when he gets guys on campus and has the ability to redshirt them for a year he's going to give them every opportunity to be a big time player and a big time contributor at some point during their career at Baylor and I, I think this could be a situation where that happens you're kind of just hoping on that right 
Uh, you're not you're not necessarily expecting him to be your best player, but you are expecting at some point he becomes a key contributor. So yeah, nice addition. It rounds out the roster. And again, they they weren't going to go out and bring in another transfer who's going to absorb playing time. They were pretty much done with that once Bridges announced he was coming back. Um, so yeah, just another way to round out the roster, bring in some more upside. Yep, so uh, welcome to Giannis and Janga, the latest member of Baylor men's basketball. But, yeah, Scott Drew on with us yesterday said that uh, the expectation is he'll redshirt, and then, you know, there's always the opportunity that if something goes haywire, but you don't really want to dwell on that too much. But he's there, and that's another body that break glass if needed, but uh, preserve him behind glass for the time being. So there was that note, had the event going on at Rucker Park that's – you know, not much to unpack from there other than just cool event that they're doing. Brett Yormark seemed to be all smiles being in New York City and just having that uh, that get-together there. Um, also, uh, the announcement that uh, the Bears will be facing off against the Duke Blue Devils this upcoming season, a rematch from 2010 and uh, an all-too-controversial ending there between the Bears and the Blue Devils in their last meeting that had a trip to the Final Four on the line and Still many that maintain that Baylor could have won it all that year had there not been a certain call made in that game that uh, I think I've probably heard as much about, like in the the grand scheme of Baylor athletics, what ifs is probably at the very top of the list, honestly. I mean, uh, I, I think it probably is. I mean, more so than if Bryce doesn't trip in Stillwater, like because Oklahoma State just kicked their ass after that. I mean, I'm sorry, but they did. Yeah. Um, so there's there's things like that. Like if Seth doesn't get hurt in 2016, you know, like – these various things, but the one that I hear most often and is like the most rock solid is is that is that one right there is is Baylor Duke in 2010 and what if that call wasn't made? So for the first time since that game, uh, we will see the Bears and the Blue Devils as uh, they really just keep loading up these men's basketball schedules on on a yearly basis, and uh, that will be taking place at Madison Square Garden of all places in December, early December. So uh, get your tickets now, like just the week before Christmas. Uh, so if you want to go spend a little Christmas time in NYC, there's a, a more reason to do it as a Baylor fan. But Baylor and Duke and MSG on December the 20th, your thoughts? Well, so I kind of have a crazy story about that 2010 game. Um, so I, growing up, I was, you know, my parents went to Purdue. So during that regional, it was Baylor versus St. Mary's and Duke versus Purdue. That was the regional. It was in Houston. And my dad and I actually went. And so we watched Baylor just the epic performance against St. Mary's. They were totally dominant. I think they won that game by like 30-something points. And then Purdue played Duke. Uh, it was the year that uh, Purdue lost Robbie Hummel for the season late in the year. They ended up you know, finishing not as strong, but they made it to the Sweet 16, lost in a good game against Duke. That was the Purdue team with like Etwan Moore and Juwan Johnson. Um, and then my dad and I, since Purdue lost, we didn't go back for the Elite Eight game. We sold our tickets for that game. And then two years later, I end up at Baylor, and all the talk is, of course, that charge. So kind of full circle type moment. But uh, in general, I'm really excited about this. Duke's a great program. Baylor's a great program. They're playing at Madison Square Garden. I mean, what else could you hope for as a Baylor fan? This is going to be fantastic for the brand, fantastic to watch. You know, Baylor square off against Duke for the first time since that, I believe. And it's going to be really, really cool. I'm very excited about it. And a great opportunity, again, for Baylor to showcase their brand and showcase you know where they're at as a basketball program yeah I mean it doesn't get much bigger than that MSG Duke you know right before Christmas 
Uh, it just seems like that'll be, you know, just a fun time period and a great time to be in the Big Apple. So, yeah, I think it's a really cool event and, uh, you know, I mean, a really cool game to have on the schedule and have added and announced now. So that's official, December 20th. It's a Wednesday at MSG, Baylor, and Duke. And uh, we also learned uh, this is basketball, but all sports related. Meet the Bears will be uh, taking place on August the 26th. So if you haven't marked your calendars already and you're one of those who likes to go out and meet the you know, current group of all the various athletes on campus and get autographs and take pictures and things like that, uh, Meet the Bears, which is the – unofficial kickoff i think to the school year in many ways uh, that will take place on saturday august the 26th at 2 p.m in mclean stadium so just another note there and just another sign that we are closing in on the uh, start of the 23-24 calendar so uh, a lot of fun stuff going on there uh, meanwhile in recruiting uh, we've had media days in football we've had basketball with little news and notes here and there adding a player adding a game Meet the Bears coming up. Uh, Recruiting-wise, what uh, do you have on the docket as far as what's sort of going on at the moment and what's upcoming? Yeah, so, I mean, there's a couple things that are coming up right now. Um, We mentioned, we've mentioned, I think, for the last two weeks, um, main defensive lineman Justin Sambu. Um, He's a transfer, graduate transfer. He's got one year of eligibility remaining. Um, I feel really good about where Baylor is at. They offered him about 12 days ago. Um, He's 6'4", 265 pounds. Uh, would be just a very nice addition to their defensive front and is a guy who had a very nice season a year ago. So he's one to keep an eye on. I think ultimately it's between Baylor and Mississippi State, but I feel really good that he's going to end up on Baylor's campus in the next, I guess, you know, week or two, really. Um, yeah, so I feel good about another roster addition there, which would bring Baylor to, I believe, 82. And that's assuming that uh, Utah State transfer Johnny Carter ends up on campus. He still hasn't in you know enrolled at Baylor. Uh, been working through f- some stuff there, but I do believe he'll be on campus in the next two weeks as well uh, as fall camp starts August third. So we're kind of gearing up towards that date. Baylor's got to pretty much have their roster set by that point so that you can go through. Uh, fall camp with a full roster. Uh, if they get those two, that brings them to what I say eighty two. Yeah, 82, I think, is the number with both, if they add both of those guys, um, if they enroll. So they'll still have three spots left. So still, you know, something to watch over the next two weeks. If they add guys, if they put walk-ons on scholarship, uh, those are going to be some big storylines, I think, to watch um, over the next two weeks. Uh, Outside of that, as far as the 2024 class goes, we're still waiting on a decision uh, by Desert Mountain tight end Dylan Hip. He's still between Ole Miss and Baylor, but he hasn't been able to make a decision. Uh, it seems like this has been a, a longer process than I think he initially wanted. Uh, also a longer process than I think he thought was going to happen, but both of those official visits really stood out to him. He's still taking his time on it. Um, I honestly don't have a lean one way or another right now. He seems completely split. Major positives about both programs, uh, but at the end of the day, he's still in decision mode. Uh, but I do expect that to come relatively soon. I, I can't imagine him waiting too long when he has a top two and has taken official visits to both of those schools uh, already. Uh, the other note this week, uh, North Crowley defensive lineman Sterling Brooks, Big 6'4", 315-pound prospect, has offers from Baylor, Houston, Kansas, SMU, TCU. Uh, He's making his decision on Thursday. 
uh, the 20th, I believe, at like 6.30 p.m. Uh, I think it's going to be between Baylor and TCU. I have a slight lean to Baylor right now heading into that uh, that decision date, but it's very narrow. Uh, TCU's been right there. TCU's got crystal balls. Uh, they're predicting him to go that way. Uh, but those crystal balls were put in right after his official visit and right before the Baylor official visit. So something to pay attention to there. I do believe Baylor is still very much in the running there. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the recruiting reset right now. So couple transfers keep an eye on over the next couple weeks uh, one who's committed we're just waiting for him to enroll one who is you know still in the uh, I guess figuring it out process but I do believe he'll end up as a bear as well and then a couple 2024 prospects who I do believe will make a decision uh, one in the next week one you know hopefully in the next couple weeks well, hopefully uh, Johnny Carter gets on campus here pretty soon. And, uh, you know, for anybody still making a decision at this point, um, you are going to have to make a decision here pretty soon. I mean, we are six weeks away from, like, camp being fully underway and, and maybe even under that now at this point. So, yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's some that have taken their time for one reason or another, but everybody – it's like, like Pac-12 realignment. Like, eventually you're going to have to make a decision one way or the other, and we're getting at that point for, for any players wanting to play this upcoming season, right? So – um. Yeah. Good. To, good to have some some finalizing there. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah. Hopefully that provides clarity. I again. I I feel like ninety five percent sure that Johnny Carter will be on campus. I would say a hundred, but again, you just these things can be weird. But that was this was the expectation as well. It was not thought that he was going to be here right at the beginning of summer. There was some things that need to be uh, addressed and figured out, and I, I think he's getting to the point where it has been. So, yeah, you're exactly right. He needs to get on campus. They need him for fall camp. And then Sam Boo, uh, again, another guy that uh, you could just – it could just be one day he shows up at Baylor in the next few days, the next couple weeks. It would not shock me at all. All right, well, there's a recruiting reset, uh, so a lot going on, even though it's supposed to be the slow time of the year, but you had media days that were all the rage, and, and really just kind of like the the publicity for the upcoming season is really what that boils down to, uh, just being able to show off your team, your leaders, your your head coach, and you know, uh, enjoy maybe some of the remnants of last year, but really use that as, as motivation and fuel to kind of fire up the folks for what's upcoming this year, so... All of the 14 schools and the conference as a whole was able to do that last week, and now it starts to kind of go back into the quieter mode for at least the next month and a half or so, but obviously still recruiting going on. Uh, that never, ever ends, and a couple of things to keep your eyes on when it comes to the Bears, which you can do over on Sikkim365.com, particularly in the premium section if you want to discuss a Johnny Carter and any other movement a little bit further in depth. Uh, all right, so men's basketball, you had, again, Rucker in the park, or you had the, the get-together at Rucker Park. Uh, you got the big man of Giannis now coming in, and uh, Giannis and Janga, and uh, the Duke game. So a lot going on, and I think we've about covered it all, so that will take us into the mailbag here with a little less than 10 minutes or so to go here in the show, and that should time out pretty well. Okie Bear fan, which football player do you predict will make the biggest improvement jump from last season to this season? Oh, that's a that's a good one. Um, I You know what? I'm going to go with Blake Shapin. I think that Blake Shapin will have the biggest improvement. I, I think that I, I, last year was not great. There were things they did well, things they did not do well. Um, and I think he'll clean up some of those things and be a lot better now. I mean... He's going to have to be a lot better. We're going to find out, like we've talked about in the first like four or five weeks, we'll know if he's going to be the starter throughout the season, I, I think. But based on everything we've heard, 
you know, the way he talked, the way he's looked throughout the spring, I, I do feel like he's poised to have a much better season. Yeah, he seems like as ripe of a candidate as anybody. Um, I think that he should be improved, and like it's if it's not now, then I, I don't know when it will be. But he is a good candidate. I don't have anybody else that like really jumps to mind. Like I mean, normally to have somebody pop in your head, but maybe he's just stole my thunder with Blake Shape, and I don't know. But I don't like I I, I don't see Monterey Baldwin getting like drastically better, or I, I just feel like it's guys who haven't really done much that are gonna like contribute more and guys that have been contributing. I don't know that I see like some huge leap beyond like maybe like a Josh Cameron or something, mm-hmm. but there's, there's, there's a, just a bunch of those guys. Yeah, like there's like, that's like half the team is, is like should be better. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everybody should be better based on last year. I think a couple names to just add to this list, just to keep an eye on are you know, guys who are maybe a little disappointing last year. So like TJ Franklin, I think he's poised to yeah, make a, a big one. improvement. I think Gabe Hall is as well. They, they both kind of disappointed last year uh, to be frank. And then the other one who I'm very curious about and also, you know, heights and weights were updated, but uh, Matt Jones is 246 pounds right now. Um, we've heard a lot of great things about him and I'm wondering if, you know, maybe he finally turns that corner this year. Cause last year he was just so inconsistent, but I will say when he wasn't on the field, Baylor was drastically worse. And so it does make you think, okay, well maybe there's something there. Maybe he, he's going to take a step forward. So those are a couple guys that I would look at guys at cornerback. Like you said, you're just kind of guessing you're, you're just yeah. hoping on talent which is fine, but there's not anything that I can really point to and say, this guy for sure is going to be really, really good. Uh, Chateau Reed was mentioned, so maybe you could say him. Dave Aranda mentioned him a couple times. But in general, I think the guys we named are probably the most likely. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think there's a lot of question marks about this team that, you know, we can talk and talk, but until we actually see them out on the field, it's hard to, like, really explore any further because we kind of know at this point and kind of, outlined everything and so yeah I, there's a lot of guys though that are candidates to to be better than they were last year that's for sure uh scotty b the baylor king uh, who has more air against texas or the pac-12 <laughs> texas texas for sure it was the weirdest thing at big 12 media days man i i felt like it was just i mean i know that they have confidence i know they're excited about the team but it just it felt very forced and felt very like you just show up and now we just win the big 12 championship and that is not how this is going to play out. They're going to have to really play well if they're going to win the Big 12. But, yeah, there's a lot of arrogance there, but there always has been. Yeah, I mean, there, there's always been that element to both. Um, I think they would have been great partners had things gone differently in realignment a few years back. Uh, if Texas would have, in fact, headed to the Pac-12, I think they would have would fit in quite nicely. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's a lot of arrogance uh, there on both sides. And it can be up to you to debate like who has more of a reason to be that way, um, but I, I definitely think they would have they would have partnered up pretty well. Um, yeah, I mean splitting hairs really, in my opinion. Uh, Big Cheese eighty three, in your opinion, do you see Baylor's defense forcing more or less turnovers this year than they did last year? Last year they forced nineteen, and that's average. That's just a, a very average number. I think they'll be inside the 20s. I, I'd say somewhere around like 24, 25 would be a number that I would look at for them this year. So yeah, I, I think that's going to be a big part of their plan going into the season. And now it's just a matter of how big of an improvement can they make. It'd be nice if their offense didn't turn the ball over as well to increase that margin. Yeah, big cheese. I mean, I think I do see them turning the ball over uh, more. So uh, that's the hope. That's what you want. That's you know, I know when McGuire was here, it was all about take three. 
now it's jackers and robbers or whatever. Bottom line, get the football. And, you know, the the year they had two years ago, there's some big moments turnover-related that you can point to that was why that season turned out the way that it did. Some just game-changing type of turnovers. Felt that way when A.J. McCarty had, like, the pick six against Tech. Like, that type of a play last year was very few and far between. Not necessarily a game-ender, but a game-changer. So, yeah, hopefully they have a few more up their sleeve uh, with Pallage uh, coming in and, and just – Kind of shaking the shaking the limbs a little bit. Uh, ZT Smith four twenty three will close us out here. What's your biggest takeaway from Big Twelve Media Days? I mean, we talked about a lot of them, but I, I think the biggest thing for me was how open and honest Dave Aranda was and the players just about what happened last year. That was a huge one, and then the confidence in Brett Yormark. I just think the trajectory of the Big Twelve and things like that. Um, there's just a real confidence there. And a real belief that Brett Yormark is the guy for the job and a guy who can lead this conference into a great direction. So those two things kind of went hand in hand on the Baylor side, transparency, honesty on the Big 12 side, confidence and belief. Yeah, I mean, as far as the Big 12 goes, I think they're in a good spot. You know, it's definitely going to be weird post-Oklahoma and Texas, but I do think you now see the route that they can travel that will allow them to still be relevant and making good money and in the you know, the big picture and all those types of things. So there's just a confidence there that definitely wasn't there two years ago when it seemed like the sky was falling because of the Texas and Oklahoma story. Uh, Now it's like, you know, we'll see you later. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. And that wouldn't have been the case even maybe even a year ago. So there is that confidence. I think there's still a lot of unanswered things when it comes to the Big 12 and just college athletics in general. But they're certainly um, far more on the side of survival than they – have been probably at any other point in the last decade or so. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's good and and a great thing to kind of build off of. And Brett Yormark does deserve some of that credit, among others. Um, as a team, I, I think this is my biggest thing with Baylor right now. Like I'm at just at the point where I've read everything and I've heard everything and we've talked about everything. And uh, I guess my big takeaway from Media Days is if they're not better this year, then I don't know what else they could possibly do to be any better. Like, you, you, what what coordinator are you going to change now? Like, what what big position change are you – like, this year is going to be very telling just as far as, like, how they stack up in the, in, the, in the grand scheme of things because they've seemingly made every tweak and adjustment they could possibly make that was not great last year that's now better. Um, and unless there's something just totally unforeseen, that now this year is going to be the excuse as to why they didn't operate on a level they should have been – like, yeah, I mean, somebody gets hurt or something like that's always a possibility. But just culture-wise and chemistry-wise, like, if things don't go right this year, then I don't know what you do differently. Does yeah, that make sense? It, it does. I, because that's been the theme the entire – like, that's been literally the theme the entire offseason has been the culture and the mistakes made last year and all of that. And it's all sounded great, and it all makes a lot of sense, and I, I totally am jiving with it. So now at this point – I'm just looking forward to seeing it. And if that doesn't work, then I don't know where you turn to because that just seems to be like the area that yeah. that is the focus and has been the focus now for months on months. So I'm ready to see how that translates. And, again, if, if that doesn't turn into success on the other side, which success can vary depending on who you ask, but I'm, I'm a simple man. Like postseason automatically and, yeah, like eight games or so. And I think that would be – a good year, uh, but anything lower than that, and like I just I, I'll need to know why that happened because I'll be at a loss for why they're not 
better than they are given all of the adjustments and, and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, you get eight home games, so you got to find a way to win to win football games. I mean, that that's pretty plain and simple. And I mean, I agree with you. You know, a successful season looks like probably an eight and four year. That's successful. Um, anything more than that, that's gravy. Anything less than that. You might have to figure some stuff out, obviously. I just think you get really concerned of, like, shoot. I mean, if anything less than eight wins, you're talking about three years of seven or under. I mean, that not even seven, but, like, six and under. That would – three out of four years, that'd be not great. Not great. But, I mean, if you're making a bowl, I mean, it's not terrible, especially Last when – Last year was <laughs> – Last year was, but I, I think this year. I mean, you're you're having to play Utah. Um, look, I, look Utah, I'll, I'll put like, it this way: I'm not I'm not saying anybody's on the hot seat, but you've already fired both coordinators. You've you made all of these changes. I'm just saying, like, if they're not more successful this year, then I don't. I I, I am curious to know as to why that would possibly be. You I just know what I, mean? I just don't believe that a loss to Utah in the non-conference and then going five and four in conference play is a bad season. I just don't I don't believe that. I think 5 and 4 is solid in this conference. I think losing Utah there would be no shame in that. Do I think that the expectation should be higher? Sure, of course, but I don't think that this is like if they go 7 and 5, I'm not pushing the panic button. 6 and 6 again, not great. You your hope for better, especially when the schedule turns over, but again not hitting the panic button. Obviously, if you don't make a bowl, that that's that's a problem, but I think in general it's a tough schedule. It's something that they they need to build on. They need to get better. We know all this, and we know that there will be uh, some things that could pop up if you have an injury or something like that that could impact this. But I'm not going to hit the panic button unless they don't make a bowl. Yeah, I'm not hitting the panic button. I'm just saying that you're going to be in a situation where at a very pivotal time in the Big 12, you're kind of just plateauing. And outside of the, the Big 12 championship year, you'd have gone two wins, six wins and then seven wins again, I think that that would be maybe not for you or me personally, but I think that would be a level of concern for folks to be kind of like, all right, which direction are we headed here? Not like let's fire Aranda, but like are we just a six, seven win team most of the time now or are we more of like, you see what I'm saying here? Yeah, I mean, we've seen that with Baylor over the last, what, Eight years, it's been very much seven and six, seven and six. Oh, two and one and 11. Oh, Big 12 championship. Well, coaching you know. changes, yeah. Right, but I, I mean, it's happened, so it's not like, oh, a seven and six season or a six and seven season is unrecoverable is, is all I'm saying. Like, we've seen this throughout the history or throughout recent history of Baylor football. Like, there's ebbs and flows, ups and downs. Right. When they hit on their roster, they do really, really well. When they don't, then they have issues. So is this going to be a year where they hit on their roster or a year where they don't? That, that's going to be the key thing in my eyes. Yep, so uh, I guess the big takeaway is we'll see if all the changes were for the better or if they just kind of kept things intact or if they were for the worse. And that's, the what I, I guess, the thing that I'm very curious to see. Um, but, yeah, uh, we'll find out soon enough. So... Uh, the countdown is back on, and now we're on the other side of media day. So, anything before we go here? No, I mean, just uh, be sure to check out the Sikkim 365 Premium side. We have a, a lot of great content, recruiting, everything like that. We'll pick up at the end of July when the dead period ends for a little bit. And then, of course, fall camp is right around the corner. We're going to have all kinds of content and coverage on that. And then, of course, be sure to check out 365 Sports, uh, 3 to 6, Monday through Friday with Smokey and Craig and Paul. All right, uh, that'll do it for us here. Thanks to Garrett Ross behind the scenes. Uh, We'll be back next week, and then, um, you know, we'll probably – I'm definitely going to be out probably in a couple weeks, but we will be back in full next week. And uh, 
just keep building this thing up until we get to the uh, actual kickoff uh, in week number one, which is not too far away. But uh, a big, big hurdle crossed with Media Days now in the rearview mirror. So appreciate everybody out there for listening. Appreciate those who had some questions in the mailbag, everybody on the website as well. And until next time, uh, I'm Craig Smoke for Grayson Root Hay for Garrett Ross. This has been the Bearcast on Sikkim365.com.